All right, y'all, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. We're going to be reading the first 13 verses. Chapter, uh, chapter 9, Gospel of Mark, verse 1 through 13. I'm just going to start reading with your Bibles, with your devices. This is what Gospel writer Mark says. And he's quoting Jesus here. It says, And Jesus said to them, to the disciples, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, Mark says, as no one on earth could possibly bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Someone turn to your neighbor, say, Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. But how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. This is the word of the Lord. That was a, a mouthful. I want to give you a little bit of context to kind of attach yourself to the story of what we just saw. Remember last week, if you were here, if you weren't, I'll give you a quick explanation. The context of last week's uh, chapter that we read was, a, it was a kind of a doozy. Je Jesus comes in on the scene and he basically says to the disciples, hey, I'm the, you know, uh, who do people say I am? They're like, oh, they say you're this, they say you're that. But who do you say I am? Uh, Peter, the smart one, he's like, oh, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, exactly. And my big plan, plan A, is to get arrested and die. That's how I'm gonna, that's how I'm gonna take over the Roman Empire. Uh, that's my plan A, I have no plan B. And by the way, I'm, I want all of you to die as well. If you wanna follow me, you gotta die. By the way, if anyone here is ashamed of me, uh, my father will be ashamed of you when I appear. So, <laughs> end of story. That was last sermon. And imagine, imagine the feeling of the disciples right now. Like, that's a mouthful too. I'm the, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I've come to take over the world. My way of doing that is to get arrested and die. I want you to die as well. Don't be ashamed of me. And then he says, in this moment, then some of you, verse one, look at verse one. Truly, some of you are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come in power. 
I wanted to highlight that first verse because it's against this backdrop of urgency. If you're Peter, you might be freaking out right now. You just put all of your, your eggs in one basket. You left your father's nets. You quit your career. This ain't like in the, this ain't in the world of LinkedIn. Like you have one career, it's your dad's. You turn that away, you've shamed your family. You're done, okay? <laughs> he turned all of that away to follow a rabbi. And this rabbi just blew his mind saying, my plan is to die, get arrested and die. That's how I'm gonna go out in glory. I'm calling you to carry your cross as well. If I'm Peter, and I don't know what Peter's thinking, but if I'm Peter, I'm freaking out a little bit right now. Like maybe I should have thought this through a little bit more. But then just Jesus in that first, uh, first verse of chapter nine just gives a little glimmer of hope. Oh, by the way, there's people here in this room right now who won't die before they see the kingdom of God come in power. So not only does Jesus just blow all of their minds and tell everybody, it's gonna be difficult, and nothing I say is gonna make sense to you, and I'm, my, my way of winning is to go to the cross, but there's gonna be some people in this room, in this circle, speaking to the disciples, who won't die before they see God come in power and glory. There's my little window of escape, right? Against the urgency of the moment, or the disciples right now, if you, you can feel, if you could put yourself in their shoes, the disciples are on this precipice of a hard life and a great but maybe crazy visionary, Jesus. And they want change. They're living in a hard society. Rome is uh, extending its power all over the globe. These Galilean fishermen don't have a future. And all of a sudden they see this rabbi who has some good things to say. And they're like, I think he might be something special. He says some crazy things here and there, but he heals some people. He casts out demons. And right here in verse one, he says, you will see the kingdom of God come in power before you die. Now, if I'm Peter here, I'm like, okay, it's not too late. Against the urgency of the moment, the disciples right here are not that much different than us. They just want change in their lives. They're under the power of Rome. They have a hard life. They believe that there's a God. They're not quite sure how it's gonna turn out. Deep down, they just want things to change. Maybe there's some people in this room that would resonate with that simple human desire. I want change. I don't wanna go through the motions anymore. I want change in my personal life. I, don't, I wanna break this habit. I wanna get rid of these demons. I want change in my relationships. I want change in my marriage. I want change in my singleness. I want change in my job. I want change in my family. I want change in my career. I want change in my church. I want change in my city. A lot of the people in this room might actually be fatigued and tired because you've been longing for change for so long. Two years. We want change too. And with a glimmer of hope, Jesus says to the disciples, and perhaps we should hear this in a, in a certain way as well, he sets the tone for what's to come by saying, change is coming. You, my disciples, will see change in your lifetime. I want you to hold that thought. We're gonna come back to it in a second. What I want you to ask and ponder as we make our way through this text 
is what if what we need has been right in front of us this entire time? It's the question of the ages. I actually think it's the question of the Gospels. <laughs> the question that keeps on repeating itself. What if what we need has been right in front of us this entire time? I want to tell you where I'm get, getting this question. Read with me verse 2 through 4. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Transfigured means uh, metamorphosis. He was, he was uh, changed in his outward appearance, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, so white that no one on earth could have bleached them that brightly, is what Mark is saying. Verse 4, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay, no big deal. This is a scene. <laughs> this is like the best Tide commercial ever, you know? <laughs> Jesus is transformed in appearance. Like, I don't think it means that he mutated or anything. I, mean, I, I think it means that he was probably glowing with splendor and glory. Like, it wasn't just his human form. There was just something magnificent and alluring and heavenly and otherworldly about him. And his clothes are just bright white. Like, read the first chapters of Revelation where it describes Jesus. His feet are like burnished bronze, and his hair is white like wool, and his eyes are flames of fire. Imagine that, okay? So they're seeing that. But then he's hanging out with these two dudes, Elijah and Moses. Uh, we could say maybe the biggest names in the Old Testament, Moses, that one guy who led Israel out of slavery in Egypt towards the Promised Land, and Elijah, arguably one of the greatest prophets uh, of the Old Testament. What would you do if you were in this situation? Jesus, your good rabbi and teacher, is now glowing, surrounded by flames of fire, and Elijah and Moses appear out of nowhere and they're chatting around the campfire. I don't know what they're doing. What would you do? Here's what, Jesus, uh, here's what Peter did. <laughs> Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's really good that we are here. Understatement of the week, right? And then he says this, I love this. He says, let's make three tents, okay? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna build tents for all of you. But Peter, with the nervous gesture, like you, you can kind of feel his emotion. He's freaking out. <laughs> and he just blurts out, like what he's done many times in the gospel, he just blurts out the first thing on his mind. And don't worry, there's nothing too deep or spiritual here. It's not like he's referring to some rabbinic thing here. Uh, we know because in verse 6 it says, he did not know what to say for he was terrified. All right? So Peter's freaking out. He says the first thing on his mind, and the first thing on his mind is, we're building you a tent, you know? Tent for you, yurt for Elijah, and Jesus, you're for sure a glamper, so we'll just hook you up. Here's, where, here's what I want to stop and camp out with. I want us to ask this question. When I read this passage, I actually resonate a little bit with Peter because sometimes I can feel so overwhelmed by what I see in front of me that I don't slow down. I don't, I don't shut up and slow down enough to ask God, what he's doing in my midst. Like this is Peter, problem solving, shouting out information. This is totally what I do when I get overwhelmed. How, how can I problem solve this? 
Oh, I got a great idea. Okay, here's my four-year plan. And so far from being angry or mocking Peter, I resonate with him. Sometimes I can be so overwhelmed by what I see that I instantly jump into problem solving and strategy and fix-it mode or just shouting out ideas instead of just slowing down to take in what's happening right in front of me. Do you ever do that? Do you ever get overwhelmed by life, overwhelmed by your circumstances, environment, and just instantly try to fix things instead of pausing and saying, God, what are you doing in this? What are you doing in this? Now, I want you to notice that it's almost like Peter still thinks of Jesus as one of the boys. Elijah, Moses, Jesus. I'll build all three of you tents. You can live together. It'll be a commune, and I'll live in the granny house right next to you. But Peter's about to get interrupted. Verse 7. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, and the voice said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw Elijah. They no longer saw Moses. They no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. We, Jesus keeps doing this. He's not wanting to reveal himself yet until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, uh, when I was in school, we used to have these, like, I think it was math or logic formulas at a certain grade where you'd get, like, these shapes, a circle, a triangle, a rectangle, and then, like, a fruit. And then it would say, you remember this line? One of these is not like the others. Thank you. One of these is not like the others. What are we seeing in this text? Moses, Elijah, Peter, Chris Lazo. You, Jesus, one of these is not like the other. Now, there is some familiarity, which is going to be really important as we go deeper into this text. Not that much deeper. We're almost done. In Exodus 24, verse 15 through 16, we see a similar scene, right? And it's, it's our guy Moses, Moses went up on a mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day, he called out to Moses in the midst of the cloud. Mountain, overshadowing cloud, voice out of the sky, right? Moses. We've seen this before. It's almost like the gospel writer Mark is trying to attach the story to the rest of the scriptures. This is one big story. There are some uh, similarities, but this is also really different. God didn't say to Moses what he just said to Jesus. What does he say to Jesus? Cloud overshadows them. Voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Right here in this moment, Jesus is set apart by the Father as completely unique and divine. Jesus only. Moses was great. Elijah was great. A lot of great figures throughout Christian history, but there's only one of these. 
I want to take you back to that, that placeholder at verse 1. Remember I said the disciples were promised by Jesus that they would see the kingdom of God come in power before they died. Little did they know it would be within the next few minutes. At this moment, we see heaven touching earth. And we've seen glimpses of this before. You remember that story with Jacob, with the ladder and the angels coming up and down. Instant access, heaven touches earth. We see this a lot. But for the first time, we see heaven touching earth in the form of a person. And as this person touches earth, he is anointed. Jesus is anointed by God as the one who will make all things new. And the only thing we're told by the Father is not fix it, do better, be a good Christian. He says, listen to him. <laughs> listen to him. Our job is the church. Listen to Jesus. And yes, as Jesus would later say, teach people not only to listen to me, but to observe all that I've done and said and to make disciples in that same way. But it starts with listening. Best advice you're going to hear all day long. Listen to Jesus. Now, from this point on, I'll just cap the last three verses really quickly. We're going to see that that's probably easier said than done. Jesus' way is not popular, but Jesus will lead us through. I'm getting that from verse 10 through 13. They kept the matter to themselves, questioning what his rising from the dead might mean. They're confused. They ask him, why do the scribes say that the first Elijah must come? They're starting to get mired in these details. They're like, isn't Elijah supposed to come before this happens? And Jesus' response is, Elijah already came. Malachi, I believe the Gospel of John, multiple other places actually tell us that John the Baptist was the second Elijah. He came to do the same thing Elijah came to do. What did Elijah come to do? He was that big-time prophet who came to the people of God to say, repent of your idols and turn to the Most High God. What did John the Baptist come to do? He came to the people of God to say, turn from your idols and repent. I came to baptize you with repentance, but someone is coming who's going to baptize you in something more than water. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus says, I already sent Elijah. Two times. The world didn't listen to him. How much more will they not listen to me when I tell them my plan, whole plan is to die? This is not easy stuff. This is the type of stuff that must be revealed by the Holy Spirit of God upon the hearts of people that are hungry for something more than what the world is offering. Amen? The world would not listen to Jesus, and what's heartbreaking is sometimes the church won't listen to Jesus either. And that vacuum left by the absence of Jesus is filled with all sorts of other things, idols and pleasures and comforts and securities and politics and all sorts of different stuff because the human heart is longing for change. It's longing for something deep, and it can only be filled by the one that the Father said has been anointed and must be listened to. Now here's the good news. Even the disciples, even though they struggle to understand, we've been talking about this for weeks, even though they struggle to understand Jesus, they get him wrong all the time, just like me, 
they still listen. Even if they have no idea what he's saying, they just still listen. It's almost like that sets the disciples apart from everyone else in the crowd at that day. Everyone else just wants their ears tickled. They just want a good miracle, and they want to go home with a pile of bread. The disciples are like, you have something to say. Peter would say, when Jesus gave him the opportunity in the Gospel of John, hey, all the crowds are leaving me, bro. Do you want to leave too? What did what'd Peter say? Where else would we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. I'm listening to you. I love that even though the disciples got so many things wrong, just like I get so many things wrong, they listened. And it was like that was enough for the Holy Spirit to work with. And he would bring them along slowly. In fact, I want to end on this passage from one of the last things our good boy Peter would write. Second Peter, historians tell me this is soon before he dies. He's crucified upside down like his Lord by the empire Rome. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16 through 19, he's now an old man and he's now speaking to people who were not there to see the things that he saw. And he says to them, listen to this, this is unbelievable, he says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You hear what he's saying here? He's all, this is not coming secondhand, bro. We didn't read this in the newspaper. We didn't get this on a Reddit form. We didn't find this on social media. I didn't get this from someone who got it from someone who got it from someone. I saw Jesus with my own stinking eyes. I saw the power of the Spirit come upon him. I heard the Father bless him. I saw him get baptized by the Holy Spirit. I saw him die on the cross and I saw him rise from the dead. When I tell you that this is the way, I'm not giving you stuff secondhand. I am source material. When we read what he saw, we're reading source material. He goes on to say, we were eyewitnesses. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. That is such a fancy sentence. I don't even know what it means. But he then says after that, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now listen to this last sentence, because I want you to take this to the bank for the rest of the week. He then says to his, his people, he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. It's confirmed to us, to which you will do well to pay attention until a lamp shines in a dark place. If I could rephrase that in Lazo language, pay attention until a light shines. Amen, exactly. Got my amen crowd over here. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I love how the NLT translates this passage. Listen to this. Peter says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. He's now tying his experience back into the entire Old Testament. He's saying the story is true. 
God's plan to renew the cosmos and the world in front of us through one person, Jesus Christ, is a true story. We've seen this with our own eyes, and you must see too. And the more we see and the more we listen and the more we hear, the more confident we will grow. Our confidence will be stirred up that we are a part of a bigger story than just what we're seeing right here on Monday morning, right? We'll be swept into a bigger story that will make Monday morning a little easier to go through. Friends, I, I just, I wanna close with this. You don't have anything, you don't have to have everything figured out by tomorrow. <laughs> you don't have to have all the answers. We just need to start listening to Jesus again. And to begin recovering and restoring what that looks like for us as a church. Or as Peter would say, pay attention. Literally to hold your mind towards something, to lock it in on something continuously. And that's something that's hard to do when life is so full of distraction and anxiety. And I again remind us, that's why we gather in an old Staples building every Sunday. It's not because we have to, it's because we need to. It's because by ruthless regularity of the Lord's Day coming at us over and over, it recalibrates our hearts to the story that we need to remember on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It's why we gather midweek in homes and in groups and with one another. It's why in our workplaces, when we know other Christians, we reach out to them and we just, we ping each other and we just remember, I'm not alone in this. Why do we do that? To restory ourselves to what God is doing. It's why we have spirit-led practices and habits. It's not because spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices are magical and they'll change you. It's because they posture you to listen to Jesus. That's why we practice things together. That's why we sing. That's why we do communion. That's why we listen to the word of God. That's why we fellowship. That's why we arranged everything, as Joseph said, so we can see each other's faces. That's why we do everything that we do as a posture to open up space for the Holy Spirit to remind us that we're part of a bigger story and Jesus is in control and he's coming in power and glory. And so I wanna close. I'm gonna ask a... Joseph and Andrea and Robert to get ready to prepare us for worship. But before we sing, I wanna walk us through a practice we used to do a while ago. It's called the examine. It's an old Christian practice by uh, Ignatius. And the, the purpose of this practice, the, the idea behind it is it's sometimes hard to be aware of God's presence in the future because we can be afraid of the future, and we want to fix the future. But it's also hard to listen to the, the, the voice of God in the present, because there's so many things that we need to do, and there's so many distractions. All we see is what's right in front of us. Ignatius came along looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and he said, sometimes it's easier to notice God's presence in retrospect, to look back on the day before and see this, oh, God was right there. And as you do that, it actually trains you to be aware of his presence in the days to come. I just want to walk you through a very simplified practice of this before we sing. 
And if you want to, just close your eyes, get comfortable. Take a couple deep breaths, be aware of just what's right there. Not your future, not the long list of emails you have to answer, not your family conflict, but just be aware of your breath, of your body, of you being right here, and be aware of God's presence. That even if you can't feel him or sense him, he is here because he promised to be. And just be okay to be content in the presence of the living God. Now, like a film reel, look back on this morning or yesterday or the weekend and review it like a like an instant replay. Slow down and ask yourself, where was God at work that I might have missed? Might be in something crazy like a work conflict or in a moment of grief and loss. Or it might be something as simple and mundane as making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Just stop, review the day, review the weekend. Where was God? Where might you have noticed him? Where did you miss him? As you highlight some of those spots, Ask yourself then, Jesus, I'm listening. What do you want to teach me from that moment? And how can I use that to look forward to tomorrow with gratitude? There's something you could do by yourself tomorrow, if it helps. But as God ministers to you and as he speaks to you, let's open up our our spiritual ears to listen and to be present to him and to worship him and to give him honor and thanksgiving. There's communion to the right and to the left and outside for those of you joining us in the parking lot. There's prayer teams also to the right and left with lanyards available to pray for anything that you need. Amen. Amen.